Good morning once again. Good to have you with us at Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Nehemiah, Old Testament book. We're going to spend time in this book for the next few months all the way to Easter. And it will be Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 we're looking at this morning. Don't hesitate to take a look at that table of contents to find your way there. If you don't, aren't familiar with the book... R.E. colon build is the current teaching series. That's where we're headed. And we're going to talk about brokenness this morning. You guys enjoying the rain? Good, huh? Everyone has experienced something of brokenness. Everyone. You can't live long until you experience, uh, you'll, you'll experience some brokenness in your life. Heart, home, health, finances, dreams, relationships, you can add to that list. We're all broken. Just take a look around. Everybody here is broken. Everybody out there is broken. We're all broken. We just mask it differently. I mean, we're really good at these sophisticated uh, coping mechanisms and masking the hurts and the heartaches and the things that harass us. And, uh, and yet in the midst of that, God can heal us. God is in the business of healing our brokenness. Now here, this is why it's important that our brokenness is healed. Is We finished up a three-week series and we talked about Uh, that we want God's love to be on the move in you and then on the move out of your life. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you experienced God's love deep in your heart, that your heart was ravished by his love? You were speechless. It might have even brought tears to your eyes. You were moved. You were stirred by his love. And then as it related to the people around you, it just began to overflow your life and your interaction with them. You begin to see them with, with new eyes, begin to hear them with new ears. The problem is oftentimes we don't experience that nearly enough, and it's because we're broken. Brokenness keeps us from, from being a receiver of God's amazing love and then being a giver of that same amazing love. And so... That's what this study is about. Old Testament book of Nehemiah will teach us the skills we need for dealing with our brokenness so that we can be whole. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we'll dive into our study here this morning. Father God, your love for us is the only constant in an unpredictable world. Our family and friends in heaven are more happy than we are, but they are not more loved But too often, we don't live in the reality of your life-liberating, soul-satisfying love because of brokenness. So as we embark upon this journey through the book of Nehemiah, give us the tools we need to heal our brokenness. May we understand more clearly the truth that's found in Psalm 147, 3 through 4, that the one who names and numbers the stars can heal our broken hearts and bind up our wounds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's take a look at this. Uh, So I'll read the first chapter completely through. 
And then uh, it'll make a little more sense when I give you the background, and then we'll answer two questions. What is brokenness and how God heals our brokenness? That's where we're headed with this. So let me begin reading chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Now we got this, we've got verse 3, a definition of this brokenness. This is also not just, I want you to think about not just the brokenness of the city, but the brokenness of the people and the brokenness of our lives. He describes it for us, and they said to, to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. The implications of that are overwhelming, because look at verse 4. So in verse 3, we have brokenness. Verse 4, we have anguish. And as soon as I heard these words... I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, and here's this prayer, a very profound prayer, and a little later on in our teaching today, we'll, we'll break it down and see how we can apply it to our lives. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive to your... To, uh, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there." They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's talking about the king. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let me give you a little background. It'll make a little more sense. In that chapter 2, he's going to ask, make a request to the king. He could easily lose his head. You'll see that he's taking a major risk there. We'll talk about that next week under strategy, the strategy of God bringing about... um, wholeness and uh, healthiness to our lives. Uh, Look at uh, the background here. The setting is 5th century B.C. Israel has been defeated. That's your first fill in the blank. So Israel has been defeated over a century earlier. So actually, more accurately, probably about 140 years earlier, Israel was conquered. And they have been scattered in the ancient world. It would be like somebody coming in and conquering the United States and scattering us throughout the world. 
Israelites are now allowed to return to the Holy Land to rebuild. So that's the setting. Here's the problem, though. Living in fear because the city walls are broken down. Keep in mind, why, why do you need walls around the city? It's, it's your defense system. If we don't have a military, if we don't have a defense system, we can have intruders coming in and take us take over. And so they needed walls, not only for the wild animals that would come in, but intruders would come in and take them over. And so they needed that protection. And so living in fear because the city walls are broken, they are defenseless and discouraged. So here we've got a hopeless situation. But Nehemiah, rather than wallowing in self-pity, as we see in this first chapter, and criticize and blog about it, get online and blog and tell all of his friends, we know they didn't have that in those days, but there was something probably somewhat similar, complain about it. We live in a day of armchair quarterbacks, a lot of talk shows that want to just talk and, uh, and criticize. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He took action, believing with God all things are possible. So he saw a problem. He saw an issue. He saw the brokenness. It led to anguish. And he stepped up and became a part of not the problem by complaining about it, but being part of the solution. Pretty phenomenal here. Let's talk about the author. This is the next point under background. Nehemiah, cupbearer for the king of Persia, leads the people to rebuild the wall. What they couldn't do in two separate attempts in the past 90 years, how long does it take him? Anybody know? He leads them to rebuild the wall in 52 days. Write that down. It's on your notes. 52 days. So what they couldn't do in 90 years, two different attempts going back to the promised land, what does he do? In 52 days, they are able to rebuild the wall. Pretty phenomenal. So we're going to get a chance to kind of watch how he does this. A lot of great lessons here. So what is a cupbearer anyway? Turn to the person next to you and see if they have any idea what a cupbearer is or what a cupbearer does. Because that's what Nehemiah is. Real quick, do that. Anybody here have a cupbearer? Have a cupbearer? Okay, all the husbands raised their hand this morning. If my wife falls over dead after she's drank, you know, or eaten what she's prepared, then I, I won't touch it, okay? So uh, that's actually what it is. I mean, a cupbearer was really the, the bodyguard, the personal bodyguard. And uh, this cupbearer, if, if a cupbearer, uh, his wife never had to ask him when he came home if he had a good day. Because if he came home, he had had a good day. Does that make sense? So he was the personal bodyguard of the king, which was really interesting. And uh, we're gonna, we'll dive into it a little bit more, but this is what's fabulous about this. This is absolutely amazing. God used Nehemiah, this layperson. So that would be like you. I'm, I'm clergy. Uh-uh. And we got a few clergy you guys familiar with the language? So you're a layperson, I'm clergy. And so immediately people think, okay, clergy, you're the minister. We're just lay people. We just show up and, uh, and uh, you know, vote whether we like it or not. And No, 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 no. Actually, as clergy, my job is not a minister, but it's an administer to, uh, to help you to prepare for a ministry. 
So you guys are the ministers. Look around and you see a whole lot of ministers here. In fact, when you crossed the line and you made a confession of faith in Jesus, if you're a member of the body of Christ, you are a minister. You're a minister. I've heard people say this, well, one of these days I'm going to get into full-time ministry. No, you're already in full-time ministry. He's using Nehemiah, a cupbearer, powerfully. Two times earlier, over the last 90 years, they tried to rebuild the wall. Unsuccessful. He steps up, steps into the situation, and he helps them to rebuild it in 52 days. So wherever God has placed you, think about where he's placed you, in your neighborhood, in your home, on the job, he has called you to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ there, to both in your words and actions, to put on display that as God rebuilds your life, that you would become a facilitator in other people's lives to rebuild their lives. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's your job description. Your job here is not just to have all the fun you can have and go from one party to the next and we're going to watch the Super Bowl next weekend and cheer on our favorite team. And that's all great and fun. But in the midst of that, he's called you. He has given you purpose. We talked about the last three weeks about this purpose that as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, as you walk with God, genuine Christian, you're going to want to live his word, growing Christian. You're going to want to contribute to his work, giving Christian right here at Desert Breeze so that we can be strong, so that we can be a going Christian, impact this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you need to begin to think about that. You are a minister as Nehemiah here. God wants to do some powerful things in your life and through your life to minister to others. And so I mean, think it's, so it's, God's, God's looking for not ability as much as he's looking for your availability. Surrender your life to God and God will do some amazing things in your life. And uh, so my job is just to prepare you for those works of ministry. A lot of times when people go into the hospital, they want Pastor Ray to show up. I can't show up to everybody's uh, hospital and everybody's bedside and everybody's issue and problem. That's why we have a whole lot of ministers right here. You are responsible to do that. My job is just to equip you and to help you and point to you where you need to go to minister to that person or to that group of people. And so that's what we see happening here with Nehemiah. What's also interesting about Nehemiah is that this has been a problem for well over 100 years And all of a sudden, God drops this brokenness deep within his heart, and he has overwhelming anguish because of it. And God will do that to you, too. You'll begin to see a need, and it will break your heart. And that will probably move you into action to be a part of that ministry. It's really what breaks your heart. I've seen people develop ministries out of their heart being broken and wrung out because of what they've experienced personally. And they become some of the best ministers I've seen people that have gone through uh, particular issues and things. Uh, Mothers against drunk drivers. Uh, I went on the call where her, uh, or not, uh, mothers against gangs. I'm sorry, it was mothers against gangs. I went on the call that her her son was shot down and tried to resuscitate him. He he died a couple weeks later. And that, that her brokenness drove her to start this agency, this organization that began to minister out in the streets and that's how oftentimes God works and we see it here with Nehemiah and then here's the agenda Uh, chapters 1 through 7 is about rebuilding the wall 
Uh, we're going to only go through chapters 1 through 7 up to Easter, and then we're going to take a break. At Easter, we're going to actually do a series on frequently asked questions, like how do we know that Jesus really did resurrect? Is the Bible reliable? Is there really only one way to God? Jesus says he's the only way to God. Is that true? We're going to deal with some really hard questions. That'll take us up towards uh, the summer months, and then we're going to go back to the book of Nehemiah because the next part of it, chapters 8 through 13, is revival, revival of the people. Now, here's what what we can learn about uh, the book of Nehemiah. Everybody look up here. God is in the business of rebuilding brokenness and reviving deadness. That's basically the thesis statement of the book of of Nehemiah. And typically, he has to rebuild before he can revive. And I'll make that very clear here in a little bit. I'm going to give you kind of a visual aid to help you to see that. But oftentimes, before he can pour his spirit into us, he's got to build build us up and strengthen us and bring a sense of wholeness. Now, we're not going to be completely whole this side of eternity, but he begins to have to put our lives back together before we can be recipients and we receive gospel ministry so that we can begin to give gospel ministry. So our brokenness, as I stated, can oftentimes inhibit his ability to minister to us. So we have to respond to brokenness appropriately. And so what is brokenness? Let's talk about that. What is brokenness? We, we learned that, verses 1 through 4. Brokenness is reduced to fragments. That's your fill in the blank. Reduced to fragments. Fragmented, ruptured, torn, fractured, not functioning properly, out of working order. So we got the walls, we got the city that's like that, but we also have our individual lives. We've got the nation of Israel that's operating like that. They're scattered, they're shattered. Now, What's interesting is that we operate under the illusion of control. Let me kind of help you to understand this. This is how we all live. We operate under the illusion of control. We are, but we are far more fragile than we think we are. We think we've got things in control. Things are all in order. We can handle whatever life throws at us. We don't need God. The Bible tells us that, uh, it uses this kind of an, an analogy, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, the Bible refers to us as jars of clay. It's interesting. Jars of clay. And so we think we've got it all together. We think we can handle life. And sometimes this brokenness can take place slowly unperceptibly, almost like erosion. When the rains come down and little by little there's this erosion that begins to take place and what was just kind of a small ditch becomes this big, a bigger ditch, a big chasm begins to eat away at our lives. And it can certainly happen little by little. All of a sudden we wake up and we realize, wait a minute, I'm, I, I'm a long ways from God. Wait a minute, I'm doing things that I used to never even think about doing. Wait a minute, my marriage has gone south really fast. Wait a minute. What, why am I so dominated with such negative thoughts? That's that erosion that begins to take place in our lives, and we awaken to that. Sometimes it happens slowly, almost unperceivably. And then other times, it can come out of nowhere. 
we get the phone call. The dreaded phone call and our life is shattered. I've seen it a whole lot of times. I've experienced it in my own life and I've seen it happen in a lot of other people's lives. And immediately, that illusion of being in control is lifted. And we realize, oh my goodness, we begin to cry out to God, maybe unlike ever before. We put God on the shelf up to that point, then we realize just how, how vulnerable life is. And then we scramble around trying to pick up the pieces. And we go, oh my goodness, I, I'm not going to be able to ever do this. No, you're not. No, you won't. No, you won't. We, wow, if I could just get this, and if I could get some help from them, and I could, and no, 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 no. All of our lives are broken And it can happen real slowly, like erosion, or can come all of a sudden in our life, just with a phone call, just with a phone call. Our life, boom, happens all the time. And uh, it shatters, shattering the illusion that we are in control and don't need God. Brokenness is when your heart, your home, your health, your finances, your relationship, any individual part of your life or your whole life is, is shattered, it's fractured, it's not functioning according to God's design. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight. it says, a man without self-control is like a city without walls. And sometimes it's just, we have no self-control, we have no sense of boundary, we have no sense of purpose in our life. And so we don't have the walls in our life. A man without self-control It's like a city without walls, vulnerable to all that goes on around us. And when we get that phone call, our life is is devastated. We're overwhelmed by life's trials and overcome by life's temptations. And it says in Psalm 34, 18, God is close to the brokenhearted. That word brokenhearted means to shatter, break in pieces. And then my life is not functioning properly because of the sins I've committed, the sins that have been committed against me. I've been hurt. I've been abused. Or even living in a fallen world, we experience that. And so you can begin to see God begins to try to pour his love into our heart, and that's all we've got. No wonder it's been a while since we've experienced God's love. God has to come along and begin to pick up the pieces if we will give them, his, give them our pieces. And he'll put it, he'll begin to put it back together. In fact, I'm convinced he can put it back together than, than what it was in the first place. Because he's in the business, what did I say? He's in the business of rebuilding brokenness and reviving deadness in our lives. And that leads to anguish, next fill in the blank, extreme pain and distress. Emotions so stirred because, emotions so stirred it becomes painful. Acutely, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you, around you. That's what Nehemiah is experiencing here. And if, if you thought that, if you thought that was... <laughs> You know, if you thought that was good, that woke you up, didn't it? I mean, it's like, what, what is going on here? It's going to get really disturbing in, in, in here just in a few moments. And, and I, because I want you to feel, I want you to feel what Nehemiah was experiencing. And, and I apologize beforehand only because 
Sometimes when I share my stories, having been on the fire department, a bit graphic, sometimes it's a little overwhelming. You need to hear it, though. You need to hear what has driven my own heart and why we do what we do here at Desert Breeze. But uh, this anguish, you can see it in his, in his heart. I mean, this is months that's going on, this, this, br- this brokenness that leads to this anguish, verse 4. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Next point on your notes what we anguish over reveals what we truly value. So, so our, our anguish reveals our values. Our anguish reveals our values. Proverbs 4.23, it says, uh, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It is the wellspring of life. In other words, your heart sets the course for your life. So regularly, you've got to check your heart. Where's my heart? What's going on in my heart? And um, so my, let me ask you some questions, some heart questions here. What bothers you? Besides Pastor Ray breaking a vase on the stage. What bothers you? What really bothers you? What breaks your heart? What do you lose sleep over? You, you need to get down deep into your heart to find out what, what that is because it will tell you what your values are. That's why the prayer... This prayer is so important. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. The problem is is that oftentimes what breaks our hearts aren't the same things that breaks God's heart. And, um, and so that's, that's just, it's good to see that. It's good to say, hey, what is it that stirs me? What moves me? What motivates me? And so as Christians, next point on your notes, as Christians, we should be sad and joyful at the same time more than most because the longer we walk with Christ, the more we will be in touch with reality. So there's something about knowing Jesus. He brings us in touch with reality. So not only do we begin to see things more clearly, and we see the brokenness all around us, but there is within us a hope. Now, you don't want to go to one extreme or the other. If it's all about brokenness and you're seeing brokenness, that's not going to do you any good. But in that brokenness, you need to know that Jesus came to redeem us, to restore us. So you're going to have to have that balance between the two. So yeah, 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 we see the brokenness, but you can become overwhelmed by that brokenness. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of everything around us, Jesus came to invade our pathetic plight, to redeem our lives to love us, to restore us. Oh, praise God. Praise God for Jesus. The theme verse of Desert Breeze has been John 10.10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Oh, my goodness. It's all around us. It's all around us. But it doesn't stop there. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. That's awesome. That verse hit me so hard a number of years ago when I was first on the fire department. I was booter. Booters are probationary firefighters. My first station I went to was Station 5, 16th Street. It was the old Station 5. It was back when the cabs were kind of still open cabs. The guys had just stopped riding the tailboards of the trucks. And so uh, I was a booter there at Station 5, 16th Street, Thomas. Sat down for dinner that night. Got the call. It came in, the intercom, said attempted suicide. It was an apartment complex just down the street. We got there. People were all crowded around outside of the apartments, two-story. This was up on the second story. Police were already there, had control of the scene. The police basically said, hey, we don't need your help. 
it's, he's a 901H, he's, he's dead. My captain said, well, we need to still come in and just kind of look, make sure. So my captain went in, we stayed outside. Captain came back out. He was an acting captain at the time, Manny Martinez Jr. He said, hey, Booter, you need to come in here and see this. I will never, ever be the same. I walked in and saw one of the worst situations I'd ever seen. Apparently, I heard the story a little bit later on, could kind of put it together, but this guy had been in a relationship off and on, off and on relationship. Finally, the gal said, I'm out of here. I don't want you anymore. He had built all of his life on, on her. We, we, it's called idolatry. We build our, our sense of life and peace and joy and everything in a person, in something that's temporal. The Bible says, don't do that. That's scary. That's wrong. Build your life on me. That way you can sustain the issues and the problems and the storms of life. And this guy had built all of his hope and dreams and love in this gal. And she said for the last time, I'm out of here. He was overwhelmed with, with depression, was suicidal, and killed himself. He set himself up in a... It was a studio apartment. The bed was out, and he was set up in the bed, and he put the double-barrel shotgun, the butt of the gun, in his feet like this and pulled the gun barrels toward his face and pulled both triggers. It was the most awful, awful scene I've ever, ever experienced. It was almost at that time that God was saying to me, he, he brought this verse so loud and clear, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Think about what you saw, Ray. Think about it. Let your heart be gripped by its reality as you consider the implications. I begin to immediately think, man, I'm wondering, I was wondering, was there any people that lived in this complex that were reaching out to this guy? I was wondering about the local church in that area. Were they reaching out into this apartment complex? Was anybody reaching out, loving him with words and deeds of love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. The longer I live, and I've scrolled through all the options. I love what uh, fire does, uh, fire department, police officers. I appreciate politics and education and psychology and counseling and self-help. But nothing, absolutely nothing transforms the human heart like the power of the gospel. I'm convinced of that more than ever before. Nothing can transform a person's life, a home, a community like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Past hurts healed, addictions broken, purpose for living, joy unspeakable. I'm convinced of that. Let me share with you a video. This is going uh, to disturb you, and I, I, I mean it to. I want it to. But here's what I want to prepare you for is one of two reactions. I don't want you to... Uh, uh, how many understand that our conscience is a lot like a fire alarm? And how many have ever had a fire alarm in the house that every time you cooked, the fire alarm went off? So you need to start learning how to cook, huh? Um, sometimes they can be hypersensitive. How many would agree that you, sometimes your fire alarm can just be hypersensitive? Okay. You, there's a hypersensitivity, so the slightest little thing. Some of you are like that. 
Because of your brokenness, your, your conscience is, is hypersensitive. So you see a video like this or you read a Francis Chan book, you know, like Crazy Love, and you're wanting to go out and sell your home and your car and everything and go into full-time you know, missionary work you know, in a third-world country. I understand that, but that's not the appropriate response. You need to just let it soak deep and, then, and be responsible in your response. The other response is that you don't have an oversensitive conscience. You have a hypersensitive or an, an undersensitive conscience. If you've got the fire alarm and the house burns down, but the fire alarm's still standing there, standing strong. It's like the, the house burned down. You didn't even warn anybody. There's that other tendency. We just kind of blow it off. And you're going to hear David Wilkerson, the late David Wilkerson, he's going to sound, he's going to sound, oh, that's hellfire brimstone. I don't agree with that, blah, 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 whatever. Hey, just let it soak in, okay? It could be due to your brokenness. You've developed this, this defense mechanism of, of criticism and, and harshness. Just let it soak in just for a moment. Just think about what he has to say. I've watched this a number of times, and each time it moves me and it stirs me. And I, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because I think that it really helps us to, to understand what Nehemiah is experiencing and what you and I should be experiencing from time to time. Yes, there's brokenness all around us, but in the midst of that, we have the answer. We have hope. So my heart weeps and breaks and in anguish, and yet in the midst of that, there is joy and there's a sense of hope because Jesus came to give us life and that to the fullest. So that's a healthy, that's healthy psychology. To have that balance. And so that's what I hope that we experience. I'll talk to you when we get finished here with this and kind of walk you through this, but watch this. And I look at the whole religious scene today and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish, deep pain, deep sorrow, agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, he would share his own anguish for what God saw happening to his church and to his people 
And he would find a praying man and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? Now, folks, look at me. Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. But this was a praying man. And God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion, not just some great sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no, I broke down and I wept and I mourned and I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish. No weeping. Not a word of prayer. It's all ruin. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all? That God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? That there's such a coldness sweeping the land? Closer than that, does it matter about the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts? The sign of ruin that's slowly draining spiritual power and passion? Blind to lukewarmness? Blind to the mixture that's creeping in? That's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it. So you won't labor in prayer anymore. You won't weep before God anymore. You can sit and watch television and your family go to hell. Let me ask you, has what I just said convicted you at all? There's a great difference between anguish and concern. Concern is something that you, the biggest interest you. You take an interest in a project or a cause or a concern or a need. I'm going to tell you something I've learned over all my years, 50 years of preaching. If it is not born in anguish, if it has not been born by the Holy Spirit, where when you saw and heard of the ruin, it drove you to your knees, took you down into a baptism of anguish where you began to pray and seek God. I know now. Oh, my God, do I know it. Until I'm in agony, until I have been anguished over it, and all our projects, all our ministries, everything we do, where are the Sunday school teachers that weep over kids they know are not hearing and they're going to hell? You see, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish. You see, if you, you set your heart to pray, God's going to come and start sharing your heart, His heart with you. Your heart begins to cry out, Oh God, your name is being blasphemed. The Holy Spirit's being mocked. The enemy is out trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness and something has to be done. There's going to be no renewal, no revival, no awakening until we're willing to let Him once again break us. Folks, it's getting late and it's getting serious. Please don't tell me, don't tell me you're concerned when you're spending hours in front of internet or television. Come on. 
Lord, does some need to get this altar and confess, I am not what I was. I am not where I'm supposed to be. God, I don't have your heart or your burden. I've been, I wanted it easy. Just want to be happy. But Lord, true joy comes. True joy comes out of anguish. There's nothing of the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money, I don't care what kind of new house there is. Absolutely nothing physical could give you joy. It's only what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey Him and take on His heart. Build the walls around your family. Build the walls around your own heart. Make you strong and impregnable against the enemy. God, that's what we desire. So as your pastor, let me walk you through this. So what are you feeling? What are you experiencing as a result of this? You need to understand that it's the goodness of God that leads to what? Repentance. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. God searches our hearts. He brings conviction and repentance, not to shame us, but to save us. Not to demean us, but to deliver us. Not to chide us, but to change us. When when we hear hard words like that, it makes for soft hearts if we respond appropriately. He's inviting us into to drink from that which will give us the deepest pleasure. That's him. That's what he's inviting us to. That's an invitation. So my heart's been moved and stirred by that. That's That's powerful. What he said there is right on as far as where we're seeing our nation go. And the only thing that our nation needs more than anything is is God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has given that to us, his church, his people, to dispense that in this world. So let's talk about this, how, how God heals my brokenness, how God can heal the brokenness around us. I think he gives us some really good insight in this prayer. And I think, first of all, let me just give you a warning. This is from Hebrews 12, 15. Don't let your brokenness become bitterness. Some of you are still kind of pushing back on what we just saw. And it's probably because you have bitterness. You've been hurt. Your brokenness has become bitterness. It hasn't been healed up right. And it says there in actually uh, Hebrews 12, 15, uh, that it, it will defile you. Bitterness defiles you. This is typically the, kind of the response. It will defile you and it will cause trouble to many in your life, and it will cause you to miss out on God's wonderful grace. So don't go there. Don't go in that direction. Allow it to soften your heart and draw you closer to Him. And it's amazing what God can do with our brokenness when we give Him all the pieces. So how do we do that? Here's some characteristics of prayer that touches the Father's heart. Just give me about five more minutes. We're going to walk through this, and we'll be finished this morning. Here's the first one, conviction of who God is. Did you notice where he started there? He says, I said, O O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God. Notice this. So he starts with the greatness of God, and then he goes into the goodness of God, a wonderful combination, this this balance. If you're going to be balanced, if you're going to be healthy in your relationship with God, now there's this tendency in our society, you got the fundamentalist, hyper-legalistic type churches that they all, all they want to do is emphasize God's greatness. He's holy. And so they come hard on people 
They don't recognize their own sinfulness. And then there's that other extreme, more of that liberal vein of, of churches out there. It's all about God's goodness. There's got to be that balance. It's important to have a, an, an accurate view of God. Your concept of God determines the quality of your relationship with God. Did you know that? So if, you're, if the quality of your relationship isn't much, if you're not captivated by his greatness and, and enjoying his goodness, it's because you have a real low view of God. Because worship, worship rises or falls with your concept of God. So he's correcting right from the get-go our concept of God. He says, Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's fabulous. That's wonderful. Listen to me. Everybody look up here. Christian, those of you that have put your faith in Jesus Christ, God has invited you into, into his inner circle to have relationship with him, to know him, and then to make him known. There's nothing, absolutely nothing more satisfying. There's no greater security, and there's nothing more significant than that on this planet Earth. I was reflecting on a a question this last week, and this is what it was asking. Why do those lavished by the Father's love and called as children know so very little of the habitual conscious communion with him? It's because of unbelief. Unbelief, pride, don't need God, idolatry. We replace God with something else. God has invited us to know him, his his greatness and his goodness. This is what his greatness and goodness mean. No matter how broken you are, his greatness can heal you. He can heal you. But his goodness tells us that he wants to heal us. He wants to establish covenant love. He wants to pour his love into your life. Okay, that's the first. So it's a conviction. And a conviction means it's not just um, faith is more than just the agreement of facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart. It moves you. It stirs you. You begin to think about his greatness and you realize, hey, there's no problem in my life that is beyond his ability working in me that you, you understand that his greatness is beyond any trial. The reason why we become overcome by trials is because we don't see his greatness. We succumb to temptations if we don't see his goodness. And it takes us to the next point here, confession. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. And you'll notice in verses 6 through 7, he says twice, against you. Now, you need to listen to this. Oftentimes, we do not overcome our sin because in our repentance we're more concerned about the pain that sin has caused us rather than the pain that the sin has caused God he says twice it's against you God God I've trampled on your love and wisdom I'm heartbroken over the fact of how I've treated you you are great and you are good and I have ignored you and I've pursued other things that's basically what he's saying sin is what we do when we when we're not satisfied with God. David uses this in Psalm 51.4. Remember when he committed adultery and murder? He said, against you, you alone have I sinned. Immediately when you read that, you go, wait a minute, you sinned against, you sinned against Bathsheba, her husband, the whole nation. You lied. He says, no, no, I sinned against God first and foremost because, and in fact, later on in that same chapter, his repentance, verse 12, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's not I sin and then lose my joy in you. It's I've lost my joy and therefore I sinned. 
See, we sin when we're not finding our deepest satisfaction in Him. We're, we sin when we don't understand how great and how good God is. We take other, we, we believe, hey, He's holding out on us. I can kind of find it on my own. That's where, where unbelief comes in and pride. I can do it on my own. I don't need God. Put Him on the shelf. And then, like I said, something comes along. We get that phone call. Something happens. Little by little, our lives are eroding. And then all of a sudden, we wake up and we go, oh, my God, help me. I need your help. So he confesses. If you don't see God as more beautiful and magnificent and desirable than anything else, that would be a good place to start. Because it's your passion for God that births compassion within your heart for people. You're not going to have much compassion for people until you have this unbelievable passion for God. That takes us to the next is confidence in what God has promised. So you've got conviction of who God is, confession of what, what I, what we have done, and then confidence in what God has promised. Now, you've got to get this. You've got to get this. Don't misunderstand anything that we've said here. Most people misunderstand the Christian life. I need to stand up on this one. You guys need to look up here. It's not, he's not saying here, he is not saying here, nor does the Bible ever say this, nor did this video say this, live right and God will love and accept you and bless your life. He's not saying that. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is God loves you, he accepts you, he's invited you into this inner circle of relationship. Now, out of that, you will live the way you need to live. It's not live as you should, God will bless you. No, God has blessed you. Enter into his love. Let him fix your life. Come as you are, broken. Bring him the pieces. And as he fixes your life, then you'll begin to live as you should. Are you guys tracking with me? It's not, if you walk out of here and say, i got to get my act together. No, 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 time out. You can't get your act together. You're a mess just like I am. Our lives are broken. You come to him as you are and let him love on you. Let him pour into your life. And then out of that, you'll have that ability to begin to respond appropriately. The reason why you can't say no to those temptations or you're overwhelmed by the trials of life, you don't know him. He hasn't, you haven't allowed him to fix your life, your brokenness. And then out of that, out of that, then you can begin to experience what he has for you. I don't know if you notice this, that as he's praying, he says this. By the way, a lot of times people want to dispute me over that. And I like it when you try to dispute me. Because I'll take you right to the Bible. I always do. Try to, at least. And people will say, well, well weren't they in the Old Testament? Wasn't all works righteousness? No, 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 no. No. They were, they were saved by grace through faith just as we are. It's It's covenant. Oh, well, that is, are you sure, Pastor Ray, because the Ten Commandments? No, no, no. Listen, Romans chapter 4 talks about Abraham and his faith. Hebrews 11 makes it very clear. Faith, grace. Oh, by the way, Ten Commandments, chapter 20 of Exodus. You know what preceded that? Chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 19, covenant love. Covenant love. Do you know that? He invites us. Listen, he's pursuing you this morning. Some of you don't know him. And he's pursuing you. He's coming after you because he loves you and he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And then it's out of that, then out of our love, his love awakens our love in response and then we want to live for him. We don't do it perfectly. We're a long ways off. But he continues to love us and redeem us. 
Psalm 107, read that sometime because you've got the nation of Israel constantly. They're wandering around in the wilderness. They're complaining. They're griping. They fall flat. And then they cry out to God. And each time, this is what it says. It's really interesting as I was studying it this last week. And each time it says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. You know how many times it says that in that chapter? It says it in verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, verse 28. Four times. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And they cried to the Lord, and he delivered them from their distress. And they cried to the Lord. That's our life, crying out to God. We find ourselves in a mess. We wander from from God. He brings us back because he loves us. And so, listen, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. They looked ahead to the cross. We look back. Jesus paid it all. And I mean all. All. What does that mean? That means he's forgiven you of all of your sins. And you have a ticket to heaven by putting your faith in Jesus. And you have everything you need in between the forgiveness of sins and heaven. No matter what you face, you can trust his love. Look to him. Run to him. When you have a right concept of God, you will run to him with your brokenness and all, with all of your sin, with all of your doubts, with all of your struggles. You will run into his arms, and he will receive you as he received the prodigal son in Luke 15. He smothered him with kisses, and he will do that for you. It's amazing. We are prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love, and yet he, he calls us back to him. Here's the last one, commitment to do whatever it takes. So conviction of who God is, confession of what, what we've done, uh, confidence in what God has promised. In fact, I would, I would have you read that. It's actually verse 9. I don't know if you noticed this. He even said that if we, will, if we will come to him, if we will run to him, he will bring us back to wherever we've been scattered. Even, he says, to the utter uttermost parts of heaven, wherever you've gone, he will bring you back. And he's talking about coming back to the promised land. Promised land in the Old Testament is a picture of New Testament promised land as John 10.10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So it's that fullness of life that God offers us. So no matter how far your life might be broken, he can bring you back. He can bring healing. It is amazing. It's awesome. And so a commitment to do whatever it takes It was hopeless, but rather than wallow in self-pity and criticize, Nehemiah took action because with God all things are possible. Nehemiah was willing to risk, and we're going to see next week, he's going to risk his life for the sake of his people. Now, this is no quick fix. As God heals our brokenness, it's no quick fix. It's not one size fits all. It takes perseverance, so you've got to come back next week. Okay? Because we're going to talk about a strategy. And then we're going to talk about motivation, and we're going to talk about how the obstacles we face as God begins to take the pieces of our life and bring them all back together again. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father God, at Desert Breeze, we've, uh, we've never been about building monuments, but more about building ministry. And though we are excited about building, building out a brand new venue, It's only to help better facilitate ministry as we continue to build into people's lives and homes and into this city and community. God, and we know that our effectiveness in helping others through their brokenness is based on on our own healing through brokenness and understanding more and more our belovedness to you, how much you love us. And so, God, we know that as we behold your beauty and glory, that's where you transform our lives. We become the kind of people you've called us to be. So, God, we pray this morning 
Give us conviction about who you are. You're a great God. You're a good God. You, you can heal us. You want to heal us. That's your desire. We confess that we too often, we're prone to wonder. We're prone to leave the God we love. God, we come back to you. We run back to you this morning. And God, help us to have confidence in what you've promised that no matter how far we've wandered away, you will bring us back. You will smother us with kisses. You will restore our lives. And, know, and so, God, may we be committed to whatever it takes to have you heal us and to be facilitators of healing in people's lives around us. Because your Son, our Savior, Jesus, cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can cry, Abba, Father. Jesus was broken on the cross so that we might become whole. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as I give you a blessing this morning? I'm going to read to you one of the verses here, actually two of the verses, Psalm 34, 17 through 18. It says, when the righteous, that is those who have put their faith in Jesus, Romans 1, 17 tells us what the righteous are, put their faith in Jesus. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Do you hear me? Out of all of your troubles, the righteous cry out to God and he will deliver you, it says. And then it says in verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're brokenhearted, he is near to you this morning. And he will save you that are crushed in spirit. And so my prayer for you is that as you get close to him and as he takes the pieces of your life that you give to him and he puts those back together and begins to bring about wholeness, may God use you to do the same in other people's lives. As the father of compassion and comfort pours his compassion on you and comforts you, may you in turn help those that God brings to you so that they might experience the fullness of life that we have in Jesus Christ as you are in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.